Willett is going to participate with us in this oral argument remotely. He will also participate in the conference that we have um, after this morning's arguments. I will call the first case, 23-50632, United States of America versus Greg Abbott. Thank you, Judge Douglas, and may it please the court. The United States asserts that a waterway is navigable and thereby subject to federal jurisdiction if one, the United States Army has ever investigated whether it can be navigated, two, it can presently be crossed, or three, it can be theoretically made to accommodate light commercial craft through the, invest through the investment of potentially infinite resources. Because literally any waterway meets at least one of those conditions, such a sweeping assertion of jurisdiction cannot be reconciled with either the relevant statute or our constitutional structure. It is particularly concerning here, where coupled with the United States' position that it is entitled to enjoin the state from taking action to protect its citizens against violent criminal activity without any showing of harm to commercial shipping. Because the district court accepted that view, it should be reversed. I'm going to start with navigability, both because it is the jurisdictional hook from which the Rivers and Harbors Act leans, and it is also the easiest way to resolve this appeal. The United States has repeatedly conceded, including on page nine of its brief, that navigability is a question of fact. As the proponent of a preliminary injunction, the United States, therefore, was required to, make a, to show a substantial likelihood of proving that fact at trial. The United States has not even attempted to do so using the standard that the United States Supreme Court set out over 100 years ago, ironically in a case that found a stretch of the same river to be non-navigable. That test requires a segment-by-segment -segment analysis that the Rio Grande, in its ordinary course, is or has been used or susceptible to use as a highway of commercial traffic using traditional means of transit or trade on water. That analysis is very fact-specific and is admittedly hard to do for this court because the United States has not even told us between what two points on the river the highway supposedly travels. The district court picked a spot that, is at the, that basically runs from the Falcon Reservoir to the Amistad Reservoir, a distance of about 400 miles, because that is the period or the segment that is covered by the only piece of evidence the United States has offered, a 1975 report that on page 1104 of the record found that there had never been traffic for commercially on this area, there was not at that time, and there was no plan to be in the future. That does not suffice. Indeed, there is not any evidence or really serious dispute that there is navigation presently on this section of the Rio Grande in the relevant sense, that is, as a commercial highway. And that is, in, I would point the court to Oklahoma against Texas, where the court discussed what that meant, which is ascending or descending a river of uh, the, in a vessel of sufficient draft to carry commercial goods or passengers. There is no dispute that this piece of river is somewhere between one and a half and three feet deep. The only evidence of actual watercraft in the water are airboats that are incapable of carrying commercial goods. 
as a result, they, they have to rely on cross-river traffic in order to establish navigability, but that is not navigation in the sense of a commercial highway, any more than traveling over a bridge would be. Because the river from south to north in this instance is not a highway of commerce, it's an impediment to it. So there's no present traffic. So no worries, they say, there has been past traffic. But again, they point to that 1975 report, and the only instance where that report found a boat to have ascended the river as far as Eagle Pass is an 1850 exploratory mission commissioned by General Patterson of the United States Army to determine whether it could be navigable. It found, and it, and as described, it was an astonishing penetration of the river with so little water and required them to get out or pull over numerous obstacles. That is not, as the, as the Sixth Circuit found in Miami Valley, the traditional form of transport at that time. And if we needed any further evidence that the United States Army actually found the river to be non-navigable, one need look for, no further than the fact that the United States Army never went back, no, nor did the Texas legislature or anybody else actually commission the type of very expensive improvements that would have been required to allow commercial navigation. So again, the United States pivots and says, well, you can look at the future. It's possible that it's navigated. And the 1975 study did say it was physically possible. That is not the test either. Our, our position is that the future navigability is not relevant under the Rivers and Harbors Act, because as we explained in our brief, unlike the Power Act, which is the source of the Appalachian uh, power case upon which the United States relies, the act does not allow for consideration of the river in its improved state. For Pennsylvania, do they solely focus on the 1975 study, or do they also refer to congressional enactments or other cases that may have intimated that there was past use? So the, so the district court relied on a number of older treaties as well as a couple of cases showing ferries. But again, ferries from cross-river traffic are not sufficient to show navigation. Appalachian power, upon which the United States relies significantly, amply demonstrates that because there were ferries there as well, and the court did not deem that by itself to be sufficient to show navigation. Instead, there were more than a dozen verified instances as well of, tra of traffic going up and down the river, and that is what is absent here. What is the significance in this record of that dam and the fact that the water level in the river can be increased or decreased by virtue of what water is allowed over the dam? Under this instance, it does not, it is taken into account for what is the ordinary course or what is the ordinary condition of the river, but the river in the 1975 <coughs> study, the court, the Army Corps of Engineers seems to express doubt that, the, that there would be enough water ever coming over that dam to give consistent passage on, uh, for boats. And that is in large part because the United States and Mexico have prioritized water usage in this highly dry area over navigation. That is the general ordinary course of the river at the present time. And so that is what the court needs to consider in terms of whether or not it's feasible to make navigable in the future. And the, the United States has not offered any evidence about what it would take to change the course of the use of that dam, presumably significant amounts, given that the fifth priority for navigation is actually established by both treaty and statute. So that would have to change. 
And the a 1972 case called Crow, which we've cited in our briefs, actually show that for commercial navigation, not only would you need more water, but you would need a 100 feet wide channel, nine feet deep. And at the moment, the river is more like 18 inches deep. So, and it's rocky on the bottom. So to get the necessary channel, you would not just need to, to dredge, you would need to blast a canal that's five times the size of the Panama Canal and find enough water to fill it. The United States has not made any effort to suggest or to prove even a substantial likelihood of evidence that they will be able to establish that at trial. As a result, they have not shown a substantial likelihood of showing past, present, or future navigation without, or navigability, I apologize, and without that, there's no preliminary injunction. If the court were to disagree with me on that, there's still not a violation of Section 10 of the Rivers and Harbors Act because there's no obstruction and, and or a relevant structure. And the obstruction analysis here goes back to the problem about their future navigability analysis. How do you define obstruction? An obstruction has been defined in Republic Steel as something that, that tends to destroy the navigable capacity. And that is in contradiction, in, sorry, in contradistinction to Rio Grande, page 703, where the, where the court said a temporary obstruction is not subject to challenge under the Rivers and Harbors Act. So it needs to be permanent and it needs to be significant. They have not shown either in this particular instance, in large part because they haven't. The Rio Grande, the, the prior Rio Grande um, case says that an object just needs to substantially interfere with the navigable capacity, not necessarily destroy it. Is that incorrect? It needs to substantially interfere in the sense there has to be some type of long-term or permanent obstruction, but Republic Steel did clarify later that it does need to be destroyed. It's not just any, uh, it's not just any obstruction that is temporarily an impediment. It has to be some sort of significant reduction in navigable capacity, which means that the court needs to first determine there is navigable capacity, which is why a future an analysis based on hypothetical future capacity does not make a lot of sense in the context of this statute because it's somewhat metaphysical to determine how to obstruct a navigable capacity that has not yet come into being. But as a result, here, the, uh, the undisputed testimony that is that these buoys are temporary. They are designed to be tactical and moved, and that does not create the type of long-term obstruction that Your Honor is pointing to in Rio Grande. There, they were, they were talking about a dam which is obviously a very, a very different structure than a buoy. It's also, it's the structure, a dam is on the list of structures in, or type, different types of dam, frankly, are on the list of structures in Section 10 as well, whereas a buoy is not. And the United States' own witness admitted multiple times that this was not the type of structure, any of the types of structures listed. So the court said, well, it's a boom or it's on a list of other structures. But it's, you take the other structures as broadly as the Army Corps of Engineers has, which in their regulations is literally any obstruction, then there's no point for the previous list that Congress set out. It also conflates different parts of the statute, because an obstruction, which is a significant long-term interference, requires a permission slip by Congress, whereas opposed to a structure, requires permission for the United States Army Corps of Engineers. They are obviously two different concepts and should not be conflated. And as a result, because there is neither navigable capacity nor an actual structure or obstruction um, impeding that navigable or destroying that navigable capacity, again, no preliminary injunction. If you had to give me your best site that the obstruction had to be permanent, what would that be? Uh, Rio Grande, page 703. 
as well as the Republic, um, Republic Steel, which discuss, discusses destruction. And I'm afraid I don't have that page on me, but I can look for it before rebuttal. It's also in, implicit in the concept and in the types of structures that are listed, which, tip, which pretty much all include moorings into the ground, which is an implication that there is some sort of excavation and that these things aren't moving. By contrast, a buoy is floating and is, and is anchored but not dug into the ground. They are different concepts, they are different structures, they're different under the statute. Indeed, the United States nowhere responds to our argument about section 14 and 15 of the Rivers and Harbors Act, which treats the buoys as different from the types of works and structures that are built into the statute, that are built into section 10. So as a result, again, no navigability, no jurisdiction, no structure or obstruction, no claim. They also haven't um, shown the balance of the equities as required in this under winter. Instead, they have repeatedly asserted that they do not have to because this is a generalized public interest statute. But the district court analyzed them anyway, is that correct? They did, but the district court's findings of fact are clearly erroneous as there's literally no evidence to support them. For example, the district court said that there was a concern about human safety, but the United States' own witness at ROA 426 and 1379 admitted that there was no concern about human safety. There was a concern about <coughs> generalized, uh, generalized concerns with Mexico, but we know that's not sufficient to obviate the Texas's police powers because Medellin said so. So the district court made some findings about the equities, but they're unsupported by the record and therefore cannot support an injunction. Was the floating barrier ever on the Mexican side of the Rio Grande? Our view is no, that we had put it down using GPS to determine to make sure that it was on the, the United States side of the border. The IBWC concluded that we were wrong and that we were slightly over the line for about two-thirds of it. Texas, when that was raised to them, moved it voluntarily four feet backwards towards the United States side so that any concern about being in Mexico was obviated. That was not as the district court has thought or as the United States has periodically suggested that the water had shifted or had made them to migrate. It had simply a, a good faith error to the extent there was an error at all about where they were placed that has now been addressed. As a result, that does not support the injunction either. The court has no further questions. I'll see you at rebuttal. Mr. Gray. Good morning, and may it please the court. My name is Michael Gray. I'm here on behalf of the United States. Texas violated the Rivers and Harbors Act of 1899 in two ways when it built a thousand foot long barrier in the Rio Grande, which is a navigable river under the statute. First, Texas obstructed the river's navigable capacity without congressional authorization. Second, it built a boom or other structure in the river without a permit from the Army Corps of Engineers. The United States demonstrated in the district court that it's likely to prevail on both grounds when either would suffice and that the equities favor a preliminary injunction while the case proceeds. The district court did not abuse its discretion in granting the preliminary injunction, and this court should immediately dissolve the administrative stay, deny Texas's motion for a stay pending appeal, and affirm. 
Now, I'll start where opposing counsel did and speak to navigability. Uh, I think it's telling that there's very little talk of either Appalachian Electric Power uh, or Economy Light uh, in opposing counsel's comments. Appalachian Electric Power makes clear that the Rivers and Harbors Act preserves Congress's authority over rivers that are capable of serving as channels of commerce and that that can be shown in, one, in either by historical uh, navigability or by the capacity for future navigability. Uh, here, the district court correctly found the United States had shown both. Uh, as to historical navigability, you know, the court pointed to the two cases talking about ferry traffic in the area. And they say ferry traffic isn't good enough. Well, ferry traffic in this instance was a expressly commercial enterprises. Uh, in fact, one of the cases was resolving a claim between competing firms uh, ferrying cotton across the Rio Grande and expressly commercial enterprises engaged in foreign commerce. Uh, and and the, that makes sense as the river forms the, the border for the entire length with, with Texas. And so any cross-river traffic is going, commercial traffic, is going to be foreign commerce and fall within Congress's powers that it preserved under the Rivers and Harbors Act. We also pointed, and the district court pointed, to four acts of Congress that preserve navigability. And they say, well, those were only precautionary, uh, like in Oklahoma v. Texas. But Oklahoma v. Texas considered the equal footing doctrine where the test is, is it navigable under its normal conditions at the time of statehood? Uh, the Rivers and Harbors Act, by contrast, and the statutes here deal with could it be preserved, could it be made a channel of commerce? And Congress preserved in those statutes by saying that navigability, free navigation, shall not be impeded, and keeping to itself the ability to enforce that in the federal courts, preserved the river for commerce. Uh, we also have the expedition uh, that was mentioned. And it's true, there was one expedition that went far above Eagle Pass. But if you, if you look, for example, at Appalachian Power, there was a similar expedition that only made it halfway up the relevant stretch. Uh, and the court concluded that that was evidence also of navigability. Uh, and it's clear that there would be, with, even in the 1850s, they thought, with, with some reasonable improvements, the river could be made navigable. So as to future navigability, the Corps concluded that its natural condition was susceptible, its flow, the gradient. And if you look at Appalachian Power, there it was a, a mountainous stream with you know, ledges and rocks and falls. Uh, and the, the court there said, all we, you know, she said nine, nine feet we gotta have. The court in Appalachian Power said two feet uh, above the rocks and ledges was enough. Here, it's not just you know, the Amistad Dam that holds waters, but you have Elephant Butte, you have Cabello, that holds significant water and divert it for irrig irrigation. Congress could choose to reprioritize that water for navigation down the Rio Grande. Uh, and what the Rivers and Harbor Act does is preserves Congress's ability to do that. Uh, the fundamental question is, who decides about this river? I mean, who makes the core decision about the river? 
And it's what your answer is, Congress makes the core decision about this river. Congress makes the core decision. Well, you got the federal yes. courts now, don't you know that's good? <laughs> yes, um, and, and you know, the Supreme Court opinions support that you know, Congress gets to preserve its ability over the, the channels of commerce. And really this case has a lot of similarities to Appalachian Electric Power. Um, you know, there, for example, there were the, the falls. The court said that navigation was not large and had seized with the railroads. Uh, the 1819 survey, survey went halfway up and encountered considerable difficulty in some spots. And the court referred to isolated bits of boating. Uh, and you have that here. You, you see even um, it, the federal government uses small draft boats on the, on the river now. And the, the court in Appalachian Power said, nor is a lack of commercial traffic a bar where personal or private use by boats demonstrate the availability of the stream for the simpler types of com commercial navigation, that's enough. Uh, you have the, even the, the kayak uh, company here that operates on the stream, showing that it can be navigated. And so the totality of the evidence uh, together demonstrates that this is a navigable river under the, under the Rivers and Harbors Act. Now, on obstruction, the district court made... Navigability question is a fact question. It is. Yeah. The navigability question is a fact question, and what the district court concluded was that at the preliminary injunction stage, all of that evidence was sufficient to show a likelihood of success, and we will have to bolster the evidence and, and you know, show that navigability at, at the merit stage as well. But that significant evidence of navigability is sufficient at this stage to establish it. On obstructions, um, the, the district court made, I think, three critical factual findings on obstruction, and there's no clear error in those. I mean, first, the court concluded that the credible testimony establishes that the placement and tandem configuration presents a structural barrier to cross-river navigation, which, of course, it was designed to do. Uh, second, it, says it impedes navigation up and down the river because vessels would have to take note of and make sure to avoid it. Uh, and it would present a serious risk to watercraft of any kind. And third, because of the other conditions in the river with the shallows uh, and rough spots, it said free reign of the entire width and a clear view of all obstacles is important. Now, the council said that uh, obstructions are only if they destroy uh, and have to be permanent. But I, you know, the, the Raven case from this court, I think, puts that to bed. You know, this court found that a, an 83-foot schooner that was sunk to the easterly shore of the St. John's River at a point at Goodby's Creek, where the St. John's River is more than two miles wide, uh, was an obstruction to navigability, to the navigable capacity of the river. Uh, and, and certainly if, if that or the, the houseboat cases are obstructions to navigable capacity, uh, then a thousand foot long uh, series of interlocked buoys connected with concrete anchors to the, to the riverbed uh, is also an obstruction to navigable capacity. 
Um, council talked about structures. Uh, unless the court has questions on that, I think it's, it's clear that this is an, at least another structure under the act. Um, on, a, on irreparable harm. Uh, purpose of these structures, the government's purpose of these structures is, how would you say it? Texas's purpose for the structures is to block people from crossing the river. Right. It's to obstruct cross river. That's what, that's what they're there for. That's their entire reason for being, uh, according to Texas. And so I think it's fair to say that they do so. Um, on irreparable harm, the, the district court, I think, correctly found two different kinds of harm here, you know. First, you know, there's there's the harm in the in the coordination immediately with with Mexico, and there's good evidence that the district court relied on in the in the Quam declarations. You know, she's the primary advisor on uh, to the State Department on uh, border issues. That it was this is a significant diplomatic concern and a major irritant. Uh, that Mexico is there, is there any evidence in the record that moving the barriers over to the riverbank is going to ease those um, that no. diplomatic tension? Okay. No, there's no no evidence uh, uh, of that in the record, um, and and you know Mexico has you know, expressed its its concerns through various diplomatic channels, which are which are outlined in the Quam declarations, also the Pena declaration and the and the Quam testimony at the hearing talks about how uh, it's harming the, the coordination with the IBWC uh, and, and harming uh, water deliveries where the Mexico canceled a meeting. Uh, and so it's having, uh, and said we may not be as willing to engage as a willing partner on a whole host of issues. Uh, and so it's having immediate impacts uh, that are irreparable on, on those. But there's also the barrier impedes, and they've, they've never addressed this, the federal operations on the river um, there are three declarations in, in the record, of one from the, the Border Patrol, one from the IBWC, and one from the Coast Guard that all say that you know, those agencies use boats on the river, uh, and the district court found that this would be a risk to any sort of watercraft, and so the, the district court's finding on that front uh, is also well supported and, and not clear error. Um, let me make sure. I believe I've addressed everything. Uh, I would ask again, uh, in conclusion, that the court you know, affirm and that it immediately dissolve the administrative stay and deny the motion for stay pending appeal as we've shown a likelihood of success on all of the elements of the claim. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor, on a couple of quick points. First, the pages of Republic's deal that I was referring to, Judge Douglas, were page 487 to 488. In reference to the permanent obstruction, if anything, Raven proves my point. It had been, the schooner in question had been abandoned, so it was effectively permanent, even if it could nominally be removed. Turning to the last point that my opposing counsel has suggested, that there is evidence that, that the, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the record as far as um, 
whether or not these are permanent or how easy they would be to remove says that it, if anything, it would take like several weeks and, uh, and heavy equipment and at least $300,000 for you to remove those. Is that, is that an incorrect? To entirely remove them, it would take an amount of time, a, a couple of weeks, yes. However, there is all, the evidence in the record is also that they are temporary and designed to be so. So they are not permanent in the sense of either an abandoned schooner or a pier, as in, discussed in the statute. And then a council referred to evidence of obstruction downstream. Respectfully, his own witnesses admitted that that's not true. Uh, page 440 of the record on appeal for Mr. Gomez, transcript page 32 for Mr. Shellnut. The same thing goes to their accusation that this is impeding federal operations. I would point your honors to page 445 to 46, where Mr. Gomez again admitted that wasn't true and page 491, where upon cross-examination, so did Mr. Shellnut. Moving, moving to their larger legal arguments and criticizing me for not talking about Appalachian power, I would point your honors to footnote 26 of that opinion, which discusses how, in the Rio Grande case, the record contained reports of Army engineers that improvements necessary to make the river navigable would be financially, if not physically, impracticable because of the many millions of dollars that would be required. The record here does not dispute that assessment, and the, re the, Appalachia, the, river, the new river in Appalachian Power is fundamentally different than the river here. And that is why Appalachian Power expressly distinguished the river here. And in that case, despite the expedition to which my colleague referred, they, it's an, it's, the, river didn't, the court did not find that sufficient. To the contrary, the court said that there were a wide variety of factors that led to a conclusion of navigability, including the actual use of the river for downriver, upriver navigation. That is what is absent here. And to point to your point, Judge King, about who makes the core decision, there are a couple of different parts of that. The one is who makes the core decision about whether or not the river is navigable. That's for the federal courts to decide. United States Supreme Court has said so, so has the Army Corps of Engineers. And to date, the courts have not decided that, and to, except to the extent they decided in the Rio Grande case that a portion of the river that is as close to Eagle Pass as portions of the river that are demonstrated to be navigable, it's about halfway in between the two of them, were not navigable. So the question is one of fact that the United States has not portrayed or has not offered evidence to demonstrate. There's also a second question, which as the Supreme Court noted in Sackett about who makes the core decision, and I would point your honors to page 679 of that opinion, where the Supreme Court said, and I quote, regulation of land and water use are at the core of traditional state authority. It is only where Congress has come in and said that we are preempting for commercial purposes or some other purpose allowed by the Constitution that the, tech, that the states lose that authority. We have, as we've argued here, that only happens under the Rivers and Harbors Act if there is a navigable river. The United States has, since this case come to the court, amended to assert there's a problem under the Treaty of 1848. But that's a different claim and one that wasn't the basis of this injunction. They may have other claims that they are welcome to bring, but they chose as the master of their complaint to pursue a claim under the Rivers and Harbors Act, which required them to show that this piece of the Rio Grande is, not, is navigable, they haven't even said what that piece is, let alone that it can actually be used as a highway for commercial navigation. 
That was their error, and, it, and as a result, the district court's injunction cannot be sustained. Thank you. Thank you. Case is submitted. Give you a few move, 